people are really getting interested in permaculture. Because people are hungering. They want to know how to grow food. They want to know how to compost. They want to know what to do with their water. They want to become more ecologically literate. Hi, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute. Our guest today is Penny Livingston Stark. She's an internationally recognized permaculture teacher, designer, and speaker. She holds an MS in eco-social regeneration, a diploma in permaculture design, and is a graduate of the Arvin School of Herbal Medicine in Germany. Penny is the co-founder and director of the Regenerative Design Institute uh, with her partner, James Stark, and in collaboration with Commonweal, a cancer research and retreat center. Penny co-managed and developed the beautiful Commonweal Garden, a 17-acre organic and certified salmon-safe farm and education center in Bolinas, California. Penny co-created the Ecological Design Program and its curriculum at the San Francisco Institute of Architecture. She also co-created the Permaculture Program at Occidental Arts and Ecology with Brock Dolman. She co-created the Earth Activist Training with Starhawk, and she co-founded the Marin, the West Marin Growers Group, the West Marin Farmers Market, and the Community Land Trust Association of Marin. She served four years on the Marin County Building Appeals Board after being unanimously approved by the Marin County Supervisors. This has resulted in alternative construction methods like earthen construction, including cob and light straw clay becoming permissible in Marin County. Here's Penny. Hi everybody, welcome to What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute in which we interview cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good to tell us what they see on the horizon that we could cooperate with, asking them this our core question. And so Penny is the best friend I've ever had on this podcast. She really is a best friend. We, we play and work together. And, um, and so this may make it a little less formal, more improvisational, so we'll see. Um, so just a little story that, um, uh, you know, Penny is a permaculture teacher. She's an amateur herbalist. She's got, you know, she is like the earth embodied. And one time when I was in grief about all we're losing through our ecologically disastrous way of life, Penny ran a slideshow that she prepared for the Earth Repair Conference about, a way, about all the ways people are working with nature to regenerate the world. And it was all so beautiful. Um, and we've both worked for decades on alternatives to industrial scale, toxic ways of living. And, and, but in my, in my grief about our own inability to head off destruction, even with all of our really, really, really great ideas, I moaned, but Penny, how does this scale? You know, how does this get any bigger than an alternative? So uh, here we are now, and, and I see this as a time of cross current. Uh, with the vaccines, people are going back to normal, but normal is what's killing us. So alternatives to normal, things that Penny has developed, I've developed, are waiting in the wings. So I really wanna know, Penny, what you see are, are regenerative ways of living now scaling, um, not being co-opted by corporations because regeneration is the new cool thing, but um, what do you really see emerging 
from any of any of your major interests. Uh, so tell us, Penny, what could possibly go right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. I love this question. And I want to actually focus on the world more possibly. Because anything's possible, right? So when you add that word into the question, it opens it up even more to what's possibly can go right. Um, and just, you know, interestingly, because I know this is not about trying to fix things or that, but, you know, I, I am a fixer. I'm, I'm one that has been trying to fix this thing for like 30 years now, um, but through education, okay? And, um, you know, I did, I've been reflecting on the question and also reflecting on the, we're coming out of this pandemic and remembering, you know, what happened when the world stopped? You know, what happened to the air? What happened to the water? What happened to the wild creatures? They started coming back, the air started getting cleaner. And, you know, I know we're kind of going back to some form of normal, but I don't think, I think one of the things that possibly can go right is that we're not gonna go back to normal. We're not gonna go back to the way we were. I think consciousness has changed. I think enough people got to see that, that in my world, I'm finding that people are really getting interested in permaculture. <laughs> I just Googled, there's 24 million, you know, whatever search things on Google now. I remember Googling it when the internet first started. And even then there was, there was quite a few, I mean, it might've been like 800 or something, but now, and you know, I'm teaching these online courses now because of the pandemic and we're selling out. So once upon a time, if we had 12 people in a class, we'd be like, woohoo. Or, you know, you, you mentioned to anybody, have you ever heard of permaculture? And they'll say like, what? Is it a new hairdo? <laughs> is it gardening in Alaska? Like, what is it? <laughs> and now I'll talk to perfect strangers, people that I consider mainstream humans and mainstream Western industrialized culture. And pretty much everybody has heard of it now. So, you know, there's a, a tremendous interest in people learning, wanting to learn how to grow food and trying to live lightly on the planet. And I think, and, and uh, it has grown exponentially literally, I'm not exaggerating, since the pandemic. So I think the pandemic, and, and even though it's been hard for a lot of people, I think what has come forward in the form of human awareness is huge. And I don't think we can put that baby back in the box again. You know, once people awaken to like, for example, who are the essential workers? You know, who are the people that had to keep uh, working even at risk in some, in many ways during the pandemic, because we cannot live without them. And they're often the people that are sort of the paid the least, you know, in society. And so uh, one of the things I want to see that could possibly go right is that these people are going to be valued more, the farmers, the, the people working in the shops, the, the, the medical workers, the caregivers, you know, and then a lot of people that did get unemployed, um, I'm, I wanna pose a, a challenge to think about, well, if you could get, if the world could get along without your profession, 
for a year or so, or many months, what does that say about what you're doing in the world? And um, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but it's a question that, you know, like if I had a job that I, and I probably could have just done nothing, but the world called me and I have more students now in just since the lockdown and since the pandemic than I've ever had in my life. And I'm getting paid 10 times better than I've ever been paid. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are going right um, in my world. And, and, and maybe I am an, as an essential worker. I don't know. <laughs> I kind of doubt it. But as an educator and helping people, because people are hungering, they want to know how to grow food, they want to know how to compost, they want to know what to do with their water, they want to become more ecologically literate, like, you know, yes, where does your water come from? And people's oh, the municipality, it's like, no, 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 where does it come from? Is it coming from a well? Is it coming from a lake? Like, where's your water coming from? And so people are, you know, waking up to like when they throw something away, where is that away? You know, and for me, it's like a dream come true to actually have people start starting to wake up to their impact. And what happens, you know, and also a dream come true. I've always fantasized what would happen if the whole world just stopped? Like, like in Bali, they have a holiday called Nipi, where everybody on the whole island stops. You're not allowed to have Wi-Fi. You're not even allowed to have your lights on for 24 hours. You're not allowed to even cook food. People prepare food in advance. You're supposed to just do nothing for a whole day. And so any satellite, or there's no airplanes going, but if there's a satellite looking at that island on that day, it would be completely dark at night. And so I'm just thinking, you know, maybe we could start doing that. Like, let's just stop for a day and see that, that that's something that could possibly go right. Yeah, yeah so I, I have a whole bunch of questions about what you're saying. Because, um, I mean, fundamentally, I agree with you about everything. <laughs> but um, the, um, and I do agree that, that the interest in growing food is rising exponentially. And I know that permaculture is a systems view. It's a systems view of a landscape. You know, how can we work with the sunlight, the water, the minerals? You know, how can we work with all the elements here to produce abundance? Um, and it's being translated to permaculture of money, the permaculture, you know, so it's being translated into other energy flows. And I just wonder if you could reflect on not just how permaculture is scaling sideways, like more and more people, more and more individuals are trying to perme their yards or you know, join eco-villages or whatever, but how is, it, how is it scaling socially? I mean, are there, are there, is there evidence of increasing commitments from cities to have a more holistic view of energy flow? Because the city is, is it just a total energy suck, you know, except for, you know, the fact that people can, it's more walkable than, you know, rural America. Um, so where do we see that scaling? Not only in the United States, but is it, you know, they're building these huge eco cities in China, you know, what's happening out there in terms of a systems, a society system 
view of permaculture? Yeah, good question. Yes, it, it's happening. I mean, there's a, there's a whole growing group called Smart Cities. I don't know if you've heard of that, but there are permaculturists sitting on those in those groups. Um, I'm being called in. I haven't been called in by cities, but I've been called in by a number of towns. Uh, right now, the issue is um, saltwater intrusion. So, and, and so as people start to get, you know, as things start to get more dire, people are gonna start reaching out to find different types of solutions because what has been happening has not been working. So people are reaching out to permaculturists at scale. A lot of times you don't see the word because it's, you know, it's a thing, but uh, I, there's thousands of kilometers in China that have been restored uh, you can check out the lowest plateau, L-O-E, I think it's L-O-E-S-S, plateau. And um, it was documented by a guy named John Liu, who you know, who's a video guy who, they, and when I look at that, I see 100% permaculture. Like, and this is stuff we have been um, touting for well over 30 years. And civil engineering is just catching up. So when you start seeing engineers applying the type of uh, solutions that we promote in relationship to water and soil management, which is basically the opposite of what's been taught in conventional civil engineering schools, you know, I, know, I have no doubt it came from permaculture because thousands, I don't know the number of how many people have been trained in this. That would be an interesting number to find out. I don't know if that's possible, but it's probably might be in the millions now. And, um, and they are having influences and a lot of people are on city councils. And, you know, I, I've been, I sat on the board for my county, the building appeals board. You know, they called me in specifically because of my, um, my passion for natural building and working with non-toxic materials and loving to play, make mud houses, you know? Right, right. And so, so people, yeah, they're coming forward and village associations and towns and, and schools, I'm getting called by a lot of schools wanting to permaculturize their school. And I think that talk about trim tab, you know, if you're, if you're influencing children, you know, we, we kind of have the long view of what's, how are we gonna affect seven generations into the future? And I think, you know, the children is where. Totally. Okay. Yeah, so I want to, I want to probe this a little further because as okay. you're speaking, I mean, we're, we're talking on a day when I read a newspaper report that there was a building that's two blocks off the beach in Miami, I think it is. Oh, I saw that. That collapsed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at the picture and you go like the water, you know, it's now standing on sort of a soup is standing on quicksand, it's standing on a soup. So, you know, in terms of permaculture, in a way, we, we need to let those processes of nature reclaiming what we have taken. Um, and so, yeah, and it's gonna be really tough, you know, because people have built their lives, people have built their lives around a failed model of development. And now, you know, we have to look at mitigation because we just have to do it. You can't just go like, oh, well. Um, but adaptation will, will actually be, how, how would you apply the principles of permaculture to adaptation? Because 
it will it may mean that you know we we just allow southern florida to go yeah and 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 so we need permacultures we need a permaculturist at the level of the government <laughs> you know somebody who can actually help us cooperate with nature as part of this transformation i mean i think it's a long shot but i'm just i just want to ask about you know you look at the global earth systems from a permaculture and it was like perfect permaculture before we came here <laughs> Oh no, 25 years ago, I was telling people I would never buy land in Florida, period. It's toast. I said that 25 years ago. You can look, if you just look at the United States and you see this peninsula sticking out, it's destined to be underwater. And that's the whole point of permaculture is that if you apply it, you people wouldn't have built there or they would have moved. Here's another example. Um, uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. They wanted me to come down and do a some kind of sustainability workshop down there. It's a foot above sea level on the Gulf Coast, okay, on Padre Island. Padre Island. I've lived there, actually, on Padre Island. You did? Okay, well, <laughs> I said, I'm going to save you a bunch of money because if I, if I, here's the permacultural approach. If I come down there, I'm going to ask one question. What's your evacuation plan? Mm. And if I were you, I would make really good friends with Austin, <laughs> which is, is a very actually, believe it or not, uh, Austin, the city, if you go look at their, um, what is it called? Like the city council, the building, you know, their, their city where, where the mayor is and all their offices are. It's, it's one of the greenest buildings probably in the world. It's amazing. And um, passively heated and cooled in a, in a, city that is very hot so anyway but that's that's what i would say and florida when bill talks about that you know when people don't take the time to observe uh what the you know take some time to observe a site say or observe a community you can apply this to social systems as well and they just kind of bulldoze in and get, you know do whatever they do it's just going to lay waste to a lot of human effort and Florida, and every time I would hear him say that, I would think of Florida. So it's funny you brought that one up. Because mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, if anybody's listening from Florida, I would sell my property right now. And <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, so those folks can sell. I mean, it's going to be harder to sell now after the building collapsed. I mean, <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, we're, we're really looking at, I'm just, I'm realizing as I listen to you that there's such an important role at a systems level for compassion for the mistakes we made in designing a world that is contrary to nature. Right. You know, I mean, we're just watching Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, we're watching the heat just roll over. Um, I just think we have a you know, not to, <laughs> here I am with my doom and gloom again, but, you know, I mean, we have so much that we're going to have to metabolize, you know, human suffering, landscapes, buildings, you know, there's so much that's been put on top of the earth mm -hmm. that is, is going to have to go. It and is it's not going gonna, go. to have to go because we make it go. It's going. And so in a way, permaculture can offer us a compassionate 
place to stand. You know, it's like, okay, I'm not just moving from Florida to Whidbey Island, which of course people can't because now our, our property is so expensive that only, you know, old <laughs> geriatric rich white people can live here. <laughs> not naming names. Um, but um, work on it. it's not just that. It's, it's, it's like permaculture, if it was taught at a sort of a, not just as a local systems level, but like a continent level, it could offer us some roadmaps for adaptation. Are people doing that? Are people yeah. talking at that scale of... Yeah, well, Harvard has, there's some permaculture people working in Harvard University. You know, the universities are adopting, some of them are developing sites. I mean, the biggest thing is a lot of people think permaculture is just about gardening tips or it's about land and it's not, it's about economy. In fact, what brought me into permaculture is it was community economics. It's about mm. And so, um, yeah, so, and, you know, I did have an elevator speech, a state senator came in to one of the times when I was teaching a class and I just, my, he came late and I didn't have time to talk to him, but I just, my elevator speeches, I think anybody who's in a decision-making capacity, whether it's a politician, land use people, architects, they should take a permaculture class. And, um, that was my elevator, you know, because there's right. people that, you know, somebody might be running a bakery or somebody might just be, you know, having things that might seem not related to community resiliency are more literate after taking a training than a lot of these people that are in power making decisions. So that's been my, my dream. Um, I was just asked that question, you know, if you could, you know, have your dream come true, what would it be? And it would be that politician, that people in power learn. I mean, we could, we could uh, cherry pick the topics. You know, they don't have to take a whole 72 hour training. And we could, I, even in, in a half a day, I think if I could have, have at it, you know, just to start getting people to think about, think about things systemically, like you said, and how one thing can affect the other and how things are connected. And once you start going down that rabbit hole, you start understanding more deeply the impact of what you're doing. So it's not just a building collapsing and just looking at that in isolation. It's like, why did that building collapse? And what's happening you know, to create the instability for that building to collapse? And you start to look at it more deeply. And that's how you can arrive at, at solutions. Um, Sometimes I'm kind of a deconstructionist, you know, like you have a problem or what you perceive as a problem and you can start looking at the problem backwards. And then you can often arrive at where, what, what's the systemic core cause of the problem and not just treating the symptoms. Exactly. And, and you know, that, that applies to polarization, that applies to politics. It's, it's, you know, there's a sort of a, a systems intelligence where you roll back the causes and to look at, at sort of the essential, um, the essential foundational errors, um, you know, what permaculture calls type one error, you know. That's the ones that, that can't be fixed, like that building. Exactly. Uh, so uh, just in our last little bit, I know we should probably should have done this first, but, um, you know, would you do, 
I don't just like really a couple sentences, you know, about, you know, the, the, the core, the three core principles of permaculture and, and then, and then say a little bit about how it's different from regeneration. Cause I know you, you formed the regenerative design Institute. Are those terms interchangeable? So just educate us so we can go forth and be yeah. smarter. Yeah. Well, permaculture just in a, in a nutshell is a, is a solution based design system. And it's rooted in observing natural ecosystems. And how can we design our human settlements to have the same level of stability and resiliency as a natural ecosystem? And you can take these metaphors and apply them to economy and social structures, as well as land, to your livelihoods. You know, like how many skills do you have? How you can, diversity is one very common uh, principle you know, you, we don't like monoculture agriculture, you know, you want to have diverse crops. So if you have a crop failure, you know, you're not relying on like putting all your eggs in one basket and same with livelihoods and skills, you know, so, um, so what was your question? <laughs> yeah. So just, you know, what are the basic permaculture prints just to like leave people with a little vocabulary about re permaculture oh, yeah. and regeneration? Cause we never yeah. explained it. I actually, I actually coined that term. Um, you know, Stuart Callan, our friend, who's on was used to be on my board. He researched and said, "Penny, you the first person who came up with the term regenerative design," uh -huh. and um, and I actually did that because I wanted something that wasn't so esoteric, you know, and something that was in more like plain English that people could understand. So, because the the thing of the reason I chose the term regenerative as opposed to sustainability. Um, I don't know if you remember Bill McDonough kind of saying, well, if you're talking about your relationship and how's your relationship going? And they're like, oh, that's sustainable. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> saying about your relationship. And, and to me, uh, regeneration excites me. And that's one of the things in the permaculture system is it not, it's not about being less bad. It's actually being regenerative. And, it's, and at this point, to your point around adaptation and mitigation, is we have to start giving back more than what we take because we've been working on a deficit. Um, we've been treating the earth like a bank account where we're just like taking out money, say, and not putting money back in. And we're doing it in the form of water. We're doing it in the form of soil. Now we're doing it in the form of our air. So we have to start giving back more. And, and, the, and, the, and here's the thing. We can't. We've got this. We could start reversing global warming by building, by building soil because that's what happens. Plants are like magic at bringing atmospheric CO2 back out of the air and putting it back into their bodies and into the earth where it belongs is where it came from to begin with, you know, and stop doing these degenerative practices that allow the CO2 to keep going into the air. So that's one very powerful solution. And, and you know, there's uh, soil scientists who have done the math and they're saying, if we increased our humus content by 1.6% on all of the arable land on this earth, we could bring the CO2 levels back down to pre-industrial levels, right? So we know, we know how to do this. I mean, we could do this. The, where the issue is, is in the human consciousness is in the human, is in education, but it's, it's more than just education. You know, like I focus on education, but it's deeper than that. 
And that's, and it's on the human consciousness level. And that's where we have to hope that something can possibly go right in that realm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's the sort of human consciousness that comes out of, you know, the sort of not knowing that there were planetary limits, not being unaware and thinking it was all just a cookie jar and we could keep eating. Um, and so it's consciousness, but it's also sort of congealed systems that yeah. embody the consciousness. And so when you say we're going to um, legalize composting toilets, you know, it just like freaks people out. You know, when you start to like work with the architecture that has been created by people who didn't understand, you know, about waste, about soil, about property. I mean, the, so it's just, it's going to be a, um, it's going to be a process. And what I'm, what I'm getting from what you're saying, and this is going to be my windup is that going back to my first story about, well, how does it scale penny, you know? And, um, and it was really a story that comes out of grief. It's like, wait a second, these are all, this is how it should be, but we can't get it through. What's the problem? I think what you're doing in educating individuals that, you know, they are going to be in on boards, they're going to be in government, they're going to be in city, you know, city offices. So the more people who have, even if they don't call it permaculture, have a systems view, Mm -hmm. um, who are in positions of power in this sort of lateral spread way, we're going to have that, that permaculture regenerative intelligence installed, if you will, across human systems. And the people out there will do their work or they won't, you know, but in a way as an educator. Yes. Yeah, they are. (laughs) And, and more of them will do more of it. Um, So there's a faith as an educator, there's a faith as an educator that you are spreading seeds, but you're not, you're not responsible for tending them. People are responsible for tending the seeds that they receive from you. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. But, you know, in the terms of we, in our last session, we often have a where to from here, you know, and it's kind of like tag your it, right? You know, because exactly. also teach facilitation skills and, you know, does, you know, things like design charrettes and different kinds of group process stuff so that people right. can go out and start community organizing, you know, it's very strategic. Um, right. And then, yeah. and then, then, you know, as things get more extreme, the demand side that people won't be pushing their big ideas onto people who aren't interested because they don't see the need, the demand side will increase and you'll have a lot of people trained who can respond to that. So, yeah. And, and also the last thing I want to say is every single, I've trained hundreds and hundreds of people, probably in the thousands. I don't even know. I lost count, but the people that I know that have decided to commit themselves to doing this work, they are swamped busy. They've been swamped busy throughout the pandemic. They're busy now. They have total job security and it's only going to increase. So the course has more than paid for itself for the people who have decided to commit themselves to doing this work. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. This is, this is great. And we're going to like keep having this conversation forever. (laughs) Yeah. Keep having the conversation forever. So thank you so much for your wisdom 
and your smarts and your solutionary nature and your tough bird cookie person. (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.